Welcome to Pensive Series. Lauren Kunze built her first chatbot at age 15, and now she's principal at Pandora Bots, one of the world's leading platforms for building and deploying bots. I was able to meet with her at Singularity's Global Summit, and we talked about the future of chatbots, which is an exciting topic. She's also a published author and graduate of Harvard College, where she studied literature and languages, and also neuroscience. Enjoy. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bay Area, in Piedmont. How was it growing up there? It was great. It was very idyllic. Um, technology sort of in my blood. Um, it was nice to get away for a while to the East Coast to appreciate the even the, the 68 roughness. degrees. <laughs> yes, exactly. The rough winters. <laughs> the rough winters. It's good to be back. And then, is there anything you took sort of like a formative experience in your childhood? Ooh, probably a lot of little formative experiences. Um, I think it changed a lot. I think when I was four or five, I saw the movie National Velvet, and it was reported to me that afterwards I said, Mom, I have a dream. I want to be an actress. Oh, wow. And then I told my mom the same thing when I was a kid. I said, I'm going to go to Hollywood. I grew up in Germany, so it's like even more, uh, you know, outreach. Uh, Outrageous to say something like this. <laughs> it was outrageous. So when I was 12, I had uh, been acting and modeling for two years and going to auditions and not getting anything. You know, the, the my career peaked when I was Lindsay Lohan's photo double in The mm -hmm. Parent Trap. And then I said, Mom, I changed my mind. I can only name 100 famous people uh, for film, so I'm going to be a lawyer. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then a few years later, I said, wow, I understand what lawyers do now, and I am not doing that. Uh, and then I decided the only thing I love in life truly is reading, so I'm going to be a writer. Well, and your childhood is a, uh, <laughs> like a series of rapid prototypes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and so I was writing full-time in college, and I was running experiments. For the, for the Crimson? No. Um, I, I was writing uh, novels, and then I graduated and landed a four-book deal with HarperCollins to write fiction, young adult fiction, so I was a writer for a while. And... Uh, the, the robots and chatbots had sort of been a hobby also from childhood. And I was working on a science fiction novel, and I had the opportunity to go to Pandora Bots. So now my life is all chatbots and teaching machines how to talk like humans. Wow. So can you t um, tell us more about how you switched from being a writer to like into the world of robotics? Yeah. So I suppose it dates back to 2002. Uh, my dad, Fritz Kunze, met a man named Dr. Richard Wallace at a conference, and he was in a tiny nonprofit booth, and he was promoting a new open standard scripting language for creating conversational software agents. Uh, he was the creator of Alice, which is the chatbot that s somewhat famously <laughs> inspired the Spike Jones movie, Her. And my dad said, hey, this is great. I want to promote and support this. I want to create a web service where anyone can build a chatbot. And their goal was that it should be easy enough for anyone 
uh, to build a chatbot. And I was 15 at the time, and I had little programming background, um, except sort of the programs I was forced to write as child abuse <laughs> growing up in California, in the Bay Area. Yeah. And so they grabbed me and said, hey, build a chatbot. So I was the first developer on the platform. In 2002? In 2002. Facebook is pretty late releasing the bot platform in 2016. Yes, <laughs> or you could say that we were too early. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, the platform had organic growth from there, uh, incorporated as a business in 2008, uh, because a lot of users on the platform built chatbots that were exceeding 50,000 interactions a day, and they wanted more server resources. And the company's been totally bootstrapped from there. And I came back full-time in 2012, I was getting a little tired of writing. I was really interested. How did you know? How, how did you feel that that you were getting tired of writing? I was writing young adult novels, and that when I was twenty, that felt like the genre where I could get a book published and become a full time writer. But it, I wasn't writing things that I was personally interested in reading. Yeah. And writing, as you probably know, um, but less so. In it's journalism. highly lucrative. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say very isolating. <laughs> you're limited to what's inside your own mind, um, particularly if you're writing novels. And so I was already moving. Well, in that, that's not for the people who do the lister calls. They just watch some, something on television <laughs> and then they just write it for one hour. That, you know? You're right. That's very interactive <laughs> that's like, and very social. <laughs> they're using uh, other, other mediums. But yeah, you're right. It's very isolating writing in general. Right. And so I was interested in working with other people and or, or at least software that was human-like. Yeah. And I was going in my writing, I was writing some science fiction about bots, and I had the opportunity. Pandora Bots was heating up. And I saw, I think around 2012, uh, 2010, bots leaped from the web and, and Second Life, which was big back then, to mobile. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really became a big believer as in bots as the future interface for everything. Yeah. And so I think that what was... What year was that? Uh, that was 2012 is when I came back to Pandora Bots and then quickly ascended to power, <laughs> as I put it. So then, um, you know, if you look at uh, bots right now, they don't really work very well, right? So, like, there's not that many Some great of them work apps. better for Like, you can't even others. get rid of them sometimes, you know? Some of these apps, like, you have to mute them. So, like, mm -hmm. it seems like the infrastructure and the platform is not really there yet, right? So, like, what, what sort of things do you see that need to be implemented? The biggest barrier right now is natural language processing. Um, it's very difficult for software to understand human language. And uh, machine learning is not a silver bullet by any means. It's not yet possible to take a corpus of data and automatically build a chatbot. And it's not possible to build a learning chatbot that learns from its environment because the internet is terrible. People say terrible things. We all know what happened with Microsoft Tay. So that's a big one. Historically, in the industry, 10 years ago, the biggest barriers to entry were thought to be speech recognition and speech synthesis, um, and also avatars and emotional artific artificial emotional understanding. And because of the popularity of texting, those problems don't matter as much anymore right now. I think they will matter again later for the um, applications to be fully realized. So right now it's mainly natural language processing. And I think because it's a hot market, there's an influx 
of fly-by-night startups that are flooding the market with so-called crap bots. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult to sort through the noise because people are being inundated with bots that were built very quickly um, using drag-and-drop tools and interfaces. If you look at bots that are... I built a bot too, and I was a bot. You did? <laughs> what tools did you use? Well, um, you know, Messenger like is, has, has, like, you know, initial like uh, interfaces to like set up the infrastructure mm -hmm. um it was like trying to help people to incorporate a business uh, right. but yeah it's, it's it's very like it's a lot of supply of like you know inferior bots on the right market. exactly and if you look at it um the bots that are pretty conversational and widely used siri amazon alexa are coming out of giant companies with endless resources and a huge amount of data. And you see a lot of startups who are tackling more specific domains, but even that takes years and huge human resources and a lot of funding to build something that's purely conversational, which is why so many people are stepping away and trying to build bots that are on-rails experiences and button-driven, um, which have so far had pretty mixed to negative reviews. So how do you imagine the future of uh, chatbots? Uh, like I said, I do believe chatbots will be the future to everything. Um, you know, supposedly 50 billion... Next time we talk, I'll just, like, uh, handle my chatbot <laughs> we'll take you. over. You exactly. <laughs> Five years, ten years. That's the future of podcasting where, I, you know, I don't have to sit here, like, talk anymore, you know. Exactly. I, I'll just have my chatbot do that. Exactly. Um, so, I, you know, 50 billion devices are supposed to be connected. A lot of devices won't have keyboards or screens. Lightweight conversational interface makes a lot of sense. And I believe that everybody will actually have a personal bot. Um, and what that means is there's one bot that's specific to you and knows your preferences, context about you, your commute, passwords, social security Yeah, yeah number, I'm building maybe. something like that myself. I call her Ava. Uh -huh. And, um, like, I get reminders From about things. From ex machina? Yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> um, so, like, uh, I get reminders on certain things, you know. I can, like, uh, say, hey, remind me tomorrow to do this, you know. Right. And then I feel it's more interactive, you know. Mm -hmm. So I can have the illusion that uh, I have a secretary. <laughs> yes, exactly. It will, it will be a little bit like that and hyper-personalized. Because right now, yeah. you know, there's only one Siri for everybody. But that doesn't make sense. Different people have different personalities. And they might want to interact with software differently. And there's going to be millions and millions of bots. Right now, there's already probably 100 weather bots. If you want to check the weather as a user, you're not going to scroll through all these different platforms and find the weather bot and ask it the weather. You're going to yeah. ask your personal bot the weather, and yeah. then your personal bot will farm that out to the most relevant weather bot. So you know, that's I, how I, I see the future. That's pretty cool, yeah. Um, and so, like, going back maybe to, like, you know, you mentioned all these different things, like, but you, now it seems like it was inevitable that you're working on chatbots. Mm -hmm. Like, are there other interests you want to explore? I think chatbots is actually the intersection of a lot of my interests. I studied English literature and language and neuroscience in undergrad. Um, programming, like I said, has sort of been in my blood. And there's a very literary aspect to writing chatbots, which I think a lot of people are realizing now. A good chatbot is an editorial Human problem, yeah. not a technical problem. Yeah. And so there's actually, it's a kind of a new form of creative writing that we haven't seen before. Fully interactive. That's um, true. Yeah. So I think I'm, I, what I'm doing now, I'm able to pull in a lot of my 
interests, and it's always nice when you're working for yourself. Yeah, that's um, true. Um, and what was like the most important thing you learned in, in college? In college? Uh, to, I think to leave school, <laughs> actually, or that was the most important decision I made because I'd applied to graduate school. Um, I was considering law school even then, but that was a hard no. And I was admitted to graduate school, and I had completed a manuscript for my first book, and I had sent it to directly to a publisher, and I had gotten a no, but very valuable feedback. And so... How long did it take for them to like get back to you about... Like, you just sent it to the publisher directly? Yeah. So I, w I went to a talk uh, by, from the VP of Little Brown and uh, for English majors. You know, what are you going to do? Because there are no job prospects for you. Everyone thinks publishing, that's right. where I'm going. And somebody raised their hand and asked him, do you ever take unsolicited manuscripts? And he said, no, we don't. But if somebody, you know, gets a hold of my personal email and sends me a very interesting letter, I'll read it. So I ran up to him after the talk and I said, hey, I'm going to need your personal email because I'm going to send you a very interesting letter. You said it like that? Yes. <laughs> and what did he say? He was shocked and he said, okay. <laughs> so he gave me his email. He replied first time? Yeah. Uh, I, well, I hadn't written the book yet at that point. I mm. just had the idea. So I was right in the middle of writing my thesis and I wrote three chapters and I sent it to him. And he said, this looks interesting. I'm sending it to, you know, the appropriate editor here who will get back to you. And then she got back to me and said, this seems more YA, young adult. So she sent it to another editor. And then it, it took about six months to get feedback, and it was very considered feedback. And it made me decide to complete the novel and try to have it published and defer graduate school. So that was a long-winded way of saying that I think the most important thing was to go somewhere, um, go into unfamiliar territory and take a risk. I was in danger of continuing at school because I was good at it and just living in that comfortable, positive feedback place and, you know, probably would have gotten a PhD and mm. gone into academia. Um, and but he could have written a paper on uh, chatbots. <laughs> right, exactly. Instead of actually building a product, and now mm. I know, you know, I'm a product person, and that's where I'm supposed to be. So, I think just leaping off whatever conveyor belt. So you connected the dots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Do you have any habits that make you more effective, so you can build better chatbots? <laughs> so I can build better chatbots. Um, well, it's very. There's a specific answer for chatbots. Um, no, I, running the company mm -hmm. is a 24-7 job, so I'm trying to get in the habit of sleeping more <laughs> right now. I used to run a lot, um, I used to have hobbies, I used to read a lot, I still read a lot, I used to, you know, I used to try to read all the industry coverage every morning, and it would take about five minutes, and then since 2016, you know, it's a five-hour oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I only spend an hour or two, but yeah, I'm pretty much living and breathing chatbots right now, I have a very obsessive personality. So, what do you think of some chatbots that haven't been built yet? Some chatbots that haven't been built, that should be built? Yeah. I think that the industry is hyper-focused on customer care and assistance, and historically, so 300,000 chatbots have been built on our platform, so we've seen developers monetize applications with chatbots, and we've seen 
you know, the majority of people build things that aren't particularly impressive, as you've seen. And then we've seen some large-scale enterprises to whom we've performed consulting services, um, you know, launch stuff in production. Um, so the people who have been most successful have actually built entertainment-oriented applications. And I think in terms of the conversational interface, that's the real application, and that's where we'll see the space fundamentally take off, is on the entertainment side, the companionship side, I think The Guardian called one of our bots an app for loneliness um, or like the ex machina use case that you're kind of exploring where is she your secretary or is she your slave? Um, But I think the command and control use case isn't particularly interesting. That's not a conversational experience. It's I say turn off the lights and the lights go off. Um, And I think my field is, or we're more interested in what do the lights say back if they say something back? That's a bad example. <laughs> I hope when I go to room, like, the lights won't talk to me because I'm not sure if I go crazy. Or... <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, some people do feel that way. Yeah. Um, so, do you think chatbots that sort of function will also be in the um, in Internet of Things in those like you know? Yes, definitely. Some chatbots don't need to talk back. There is a time and a place for command control. How do, how do robots know when it's appropriate to talk? <laughs> that I think that will depend on your personal bot yeah. and that filter. But how far are we away from this personal bot? Not too far. And then it will be a, a subscription or you buy your bot? <laughs> the business models, uh, there are a lot of different business models I can see coming into play. I think everybody, in terms of the big companies, they're all fighting to be that gateway uh, between consumers and businesses, consumers and chatbots. You can imagine on Facebook right now, there are a lot of different pizza bots. You might have, there's a Pizza Hut bot, maybe there will be a Domino's bot. Eventually, when the user says, I want pizza, you can imagine Facebook allowing real-time bidding between those bots to like talk to AdWords. the user. Like yeah, some, like AdWords. So, so I mean, the bots have to compete for attention. <laughs> sure. And there's um, context awareness, you know. Do you think once they become Google aware Maps. of that, then it's like a real, like, you know? That's, <laughs> I do not think funny. that they're going to wake up <laughs> necessarily. But they could, you know, learn how often you like pizza and anticipate your pizza order. <laughs> yeah. Pizza is another not great example, though. What, is, what are the best use cases for chatbots? Like I said, entertainment is huge. But what do you mean by entertainment? Um, enter- it, that's a good question. So we've seen characters in mobile gaming. I think virtual reality will be a big application for non-player characters in games. Um, marketing is a huge, is probably historically the largest portion of our revenue has come from advertisers and marketers. So it's a way to engage consumers with interactive content. And the response rates we've seen for things that are really dressed up surveys or quizzes that incorporate calls to action because you can make a purchase online, that's extremely powerful for marketers and for retailers. And customer care is obviously huge um, because businesses can actually draw a straight line to the return on investment, which is massive savings. But customer care is historically difficult because really excellent customer care requires a human touch. And because if something went wrong for you, you tend to like to tell a very long story. You know, I was late and then this terrible thing happened and that terrible thing happened. And it's difficult yeah. for a bot to, to process. 
So we've seen the most success in trying to eliminate the level zero queries that people get over and over again, which will hopefully free up humans to do more high-level complex tasks. So I'm interested in a bot that works sort of like, uh, when I was a kid I played Zelda, mm -hmm. and so it was a um, bot called Navi, and basically Navi follows Link wherever he goes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she gives him like warnings. Well, that's and your Ava like that. bot, that's what you yeah, want. Yeah, but like it's still on my phone, and I have to like, you know, it's like, it's not that, it doesn't work like that yet. But like that's sort of like something that like flies around you or something, you know, that you can talk to sort of, mm -hmm. um, something very interactive and playful in a way. Um, yep. Yeah, so I don't know how far we are away from those kinds of, if people are even thinking about those things. Yeah, I think that's, I'm agreeing with you. I think that's the future killer use case. And if something's flying around your head, I'm not sure how that's probably look like society going like to happen in virtual reality, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, or you could have, you know, a little implant with your bot sitting in your ear. So what is the um, the best disposable skill that you transfer from writing? Is that the editorial aspect that you mentioned that is so um, predominant in like chatbots? I think so, yes. Yeah. And writing is a valuable skill, full stop. But um, communicating is important. What is an idea worth if it can't be communicated? So then how do you deal with all that stress? I mean, all this, uh, all this news that you have to read every day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's a lot of work. How do you manage that and other things? I think it definitely is and was difficult sort of filtering out who and what you need to listen to and who and what you should ignore. Hmm. Uh, so that's, that's an ongoing You could probably write process. a newsletter for chatbots. It would be very useful because you can condense the most. There are a hundred newsletters already. Yeah. <laughs> I won't add to Newsletters that. are red oceans. Exactly. Newsletters are red oceans. That's exactly right. Yeah. So then... Um, how do you prioritize your work, like your work, and what you have to focus on? All these things. That's difficult because I tend to have an idea and get very excited and want everything to happen immediately. Yeah. Um, I think for us. Are you impatient then? Yes, very. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it's there's obviously a limit to what you can do yourself. So it's. In implementing something, it's not just about what you can do. What can you convince and get other people excited about doing? So I think for us, because we're a bootstrapped company, it's listening to the customer is extremely important, and talking to customers every day is probably the most valuable thing that I do. So in terms of prioritizing on the roadmap... Do you talk the to them through a chatbot? Or? <laughs> not yet. Okay. <laughs> still requires that human touch okay. um and so you call them up no <laughs> yes i call them up really yeah and then you just say what do you say well they call me they need oh, okay. something done right <laughs> usually uh or they email um so spending time working on customer projects um listening to customers so if we have a great idea for the product if it's not clear how it's going to help a specific customer then it's on the back burner. And that's just a reality of being a bootstrapped company that's self-funding on revenue. Uh, customers are number one and product is number two. What do you think customers and was the product. most important uh, key to make that happen, like, you know, bootstrapping successfully? Mm -hmm. It's it's a hard process, <laughs> and I don't, I'm not sure what counts as success. It's an incredibly 
valuable experience and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it's also very painful. Uh, we're different from a lot of the bot startups because we uh, have a product and we have customers and we have revenue and we use that to build a product, which sounds to most of the world the way a company should work. Right? But in Silicon Valley, actually, we're somewhat of an outlier right. in terms of that model. That's not bad. That's pretty good. No, I, I used to um, I used to be a little sad that we weren't in that PR hype cycle of funding and hiring and rapid growth. But, but now I like, think... It's like Icarus and you die sooner too, maybe. You know? Exactly. Like, well, you, we could just be dying slowly. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> you never a, know. That's dying a, slowly is maybe worse than dying quickly. That's always a possibility. You know? uh, but I think uh, at the end of the day, I think that being bootstrapped is really, really great. And what do you think is the main motivation for you to do this? You talked about this, you know, how you think chatbots can revolutionize, um, you know, people's lives uh, by being able to talk to the lights. <laughs> <laughs> But in other ways, why, you know, what makes you excited about this, like, in, in some ways maybe that you haven't talked about yet? Sure. Well, I think, yeah, we already talked about the new interactive medium from a literary standpoint. Um, I think what's really exciting is... Uh, the way natural language is the fundamental way that humans communicate. So the if there are natural language interfaces to everything, it's going to open up the world of computing to everyone yeah. in the world. Is it? Do we have that? Have we reached that tipping point yet? Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> natural language processing is still the hard problem, and it's great now that the market is so hot because I think that was just a lower priority. Um, compared to speech recognition, text-to-speech, and now, you know, a lot of resources and great minds are pouring into it, so it's it should be a solvable problem, but there is a way to go. And what are some books that you recommend to other people to read? Hmm. Do you have some favorite books that yeah. like, sort of have, have like had a big influence on you? Yeah, um, my... In sixth grade, I read Shirley, You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, and I was obsessed with Richard Feynman. I wanted to go to MIT. Um, a lot of my... And then you went to Harvard. And then I went to Harvard. I think you made a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with the choice. It was the right choice at the time. Um, I did submit on my MIT application, and I believe this is why I was admitted, the chatbot that I had created <laughs> when really? I was 15. Yes, you can still go online and find it today. It has a really oh. dorky <laughs> avatar <laughs> that requires flash, so it may well, not Well, I think work. Harvard is more all-rounded, so it probably helped you in other ways that MIT yes. wouldn't be able, because MIT is very specific to yes. tech, right? Yeah, so I read... Um, I really loved Richard Feynman. Uh, I've read that book at multiple points in my life and given it to multiple people. Um, there was a point in school, in middle school, where I was very frustrated and I hated school. And I actually stayed home for the maximum number of days you can stay home and not get held back a grade and just read books all day and refused to go. And then I think I had a turning point at, at that time where I realized I would have to start getting good grades and bending to the system or I was going to be stuck there and bored forever. Um, but for some reason, that that book and his way of thinking outside of the system really influenced me. Oh, and what I was saying was a lot of my early programming and science experiments were very prank-driven. <laughs> so the first program I ever wrote on my own was so when my little brother would turn on the computer and type a key 
it would spit out Michael poops <laughs> 500 times. So I liked the, the pranking element of the Feynman books as well and sort of what that funny was part of your learning you class. <laughs> exactly. That's what motivates you to, to, to reinvent <laughs> yes, the pranks. Yes, initially in the early life, back in the childhood <laughs> days. Yeah. Um, and like when you were, when you have a problem or when you're stuck, um, like, and you're like stuck, you know, and you're thinking or something, what do you do to get out of that? And do you have some like rituals or some chatbots you talk to? <laughs> I think exercise has always been the best way to relieve stress. So taking a walk or going for a run. That's why we walked uh, looking for a room before, you know. I exactly. Like you help. could tell I was <laughs> really stressed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I always do that. You know, I always go for a walk before. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, a good, that's a good example. Yeah. So that's a good way to clear my head. Um, and yeah, I think. Do you that's meditate or something like that? I don't meditate. I have tried yoga, and I am far too impatient, and I'm not very bendy. Yeah. So I, I don't. Um, I saw a robot doing tai chi. Um, you did a couple months ago, like yeah. awesome. But I think <laughs> robots need stress relief too. Yeah. <laughs> or well, um, yeah. So I I I relieve stress better by. Outputs of frenetic energy rather than. So then, um, you know, you, you grew up um, in the Bay Area, sort of, which some people would consider the center of innovation. Um, and then you also lived on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. New York is also a great place. And, you know, now there's Beijing and there's like Tel Aviv and there's a lot of these places. How do you, how do you um, understand sort of, you know, the geography of innovation? And do you think, you know, it's going to be more you know, different routers all over, the, all over the world. That's sort of what I believe. Um, because, you know, not everybody can move here for visa issues or nobody, anybody wants to move to San Francisco. So, like, um, how do you see sort of that uh, unfolding? Right. Through the lens of chatbots. <laughs> <laughs> Through the lens of chatbots. Um, well, I think chatbots is a very accessible software. Um, it's easier in some ways to build. It's easier to join, but also easy to give up. because <laughs> Right, exactly. So we are, our platform has a global audience. Um, the way that we build chatbots, they can be written in any natural language. So we have users all over the world, which is great. Um, and I think you certainly do not have to live in Silicon Valley to innovate. You can innovate anywhere. And it's great to see a lot of Places, Berlin, Tel Aviv, Silicon Beach, which is, I think, LA? the Venice Beach, LA uh -oh. area, right? It um, sounds like a copy. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I don't, think, uh, well, I don't think, think there's a need to replicate. This ecosystem is unique and extremely vibrant, but I, I like, I would prefer to see countries doing their own, own things um, and innovation springing up everywhere. Yeah. So how does it feel having this company uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? It's very stressful, but sometimes, you know, you have time to relax. and then... Yeah, there. it's obviously an incredibly exciting time to be you in the You could have been a lawyer, space. you know. <laughs> like, that was an option. Yes. You could have stayed being a writer. Right? <laughs> yes, and you never know. Anything could happen yeah. in the future. Uh, one day I will finish my science fiction novel, yeah. um, or I will just make that world a reality, which, by the way, was about having that avatar 
personal bot that you can talk to. So you wrote the screenplay of her. <laughs> have you watched yep. that movie? Yes, yes, yeah. I watched that movie. Yeah, we need more science fiction movies uh, that have less action and that reimagine the world and show like sort of different alternative right. realities. Los Angeles needs a subway. That was the most yeah. <laughs> imaginative <laughs> thing about that movie. Yeah. Or not imaginative, but should happen right away. Um, yes, what were we talking about? Um, well, I'm just curious. Oh, like, to running, understand, like, right, the company. Oh, it's a very exciting time. There are obviously highs and lows, um, but there's nothing else I would rather be doing. Um, and like, who are, who are some of the people who influence you? Do you have some heroes or mentors? You know, I think uh, my dad is a big early hero and mentor. He started the company and passed the reins to me several years ago. Um, and he's always been too early his whole career. He sort of subscribes to technology trends 10 years too early. And then yeah. they come true. I have to realize, like, you have to understand um, <laughs> where you are sort of um, on the adoption cycle in terms of being a consumer. And right. then when it makes sense to be the entrepreneur and then the investor, you know. Right. Timing is everything. Timing is important, yeah. And right now, we're finally in the right place at the right time. So that's exciting for him to see after many years. And um, his... That's cool that you can talk to yeah. him about this, right? Yeah, definitely. And uh, his like lawyer... an advisor in a way. <laughs> exactly. He is. He is an advisor. Um, and his lawyer called him a Cassandra for the, the Greek myth about... Uh, seeing the future and nobody believing you. So it's nice. Well, yeah, now he's all about virtual reality. Yeah, Ray Kurzweil doesn't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and so like maybe one last question. Like mm -hmm. if you could have dinner with anyone in, in the future, what kind of person would you like to talk to? Oh, in the future? Well, since we just mentioned Ray Kurzweil, I've had lunch with him in the present or the recent past. Uh, but it will be nice to meet Like him. in real person? Because I talked to him through like a, uh, like a robot. You know, I had to talk to a screen. <laughs> a real you person. Oh, okay, cool. Um, it would be nice to have dinner with him in the future when... So you uh, want to upgrade from lunch? Yeah, when he's, well, when he's achieved a life extension and uh, we're all living forever. Right. Well, you can still be hit by a bus. Or like, would that, right. what, does life extension mean like also like physical injuries? That's or a like, question we're going to have like to ask Ray fix? in yeah. the future at our future <laughs> dinner the, party. I'd still be worried about that, you know, be sad, like you get infinite life extension and then like you have like a natural accident. Yeah. I would also like to have dinner with my personal bot in the future. My, maybe personal bots are the key to life extension. It will know everything about you. And it will capture you, and your, and your we'll progeny will be able to converse with you about what it was like. And then it will just you. take over, and like not like it will say like, yeah, okay, well, I'll reincarnate you, but then it will just live on its own. Yes, that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Anything is possible. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for your time, you know, and I hope uh, you yeah. enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. I hope you can make the bot talk. It won't be just me; it will be myself and a few others. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.